0: Um, we we have a lot of work to do today. We need to talk about what the church was going through and what it was like. But here's our problem: there's there's a lot of mystery about the church between the years 100 and 300. We have a lot before then. The there are individual writers of local churches. There were the apostles that were still alive and writing, and we have some of their stuff. But then it rather goes dark again we have some writings but not nearly what we would have expected around 325 we start picking up a lot more writings and that, that's a very important date that we're going to talk about today we know from our earlier lessons on the creeds that they had they had something which they referred to as the symbol of their faith or the symbolum which we which was related to at least if not the exact thing as the apostles creed We know that many churches use that, as this is who we are, this is what we believe in. This last week, I read um, the N.T. Wright's biography on Paul, which is a lengthy thing, but actually a quick read and a very good one. And he, he makes a point over and over again that Paul's message was not that God's done with the Jews, but rather God is now God of Gentiles as well. We're all together because of the risen Lord. And he, he goes through and shows how little Paul pushed for organization things and rule things. When you really look at it, what Paul was pushing for was Jesus is resurrected. That changes everything. We have writings from the period before 325. Nine volumes worth. That sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. We call that the nicene period, as in before Nicaea. The writings are by people we call the Apostolic Fathers, which meant, which means rather, these are people who are really big names in the early church for writing and directing and counseling churches. There were apologists, which means these are those that defended the faith almost entirely against Rome and against the accusations of the Romans that Christians were atheists and Christians were bad citizens. We have Clement of Alexandria, Irenaeus of Lyon. Uh, origin of Alexandria. We have in those writings also the New Testament apocryphon, which means other writings which didn't make it into the New Testament. By the way, I've said this before, but just please remember: whenever History Channel can tear itself away from Hitler, and um, Discovery Channel can tear itself away from aliens, um, they uh, they will sometimes say things like the lost by Bi- uh, books of the Bible. They're not lost. We know where they are. <laughs> they're not in copyright. You can go read them if you want to. And it, once you do, you're gonna walk back and say, you know, there's a reason they're not in there. Uh, so again, don't let anybody fool, fool you on that one. There are, there's a lot of variation and diversity among the early church that becomes important because they began to fear, what if we're not all on the same page? Now, sometimes they wanted everybody to do exactly the same thing. And we saw in Acts chapter 15 that the apostles and James in Jerusalem said, no, no, believe in Jesus, don't act like pagans. That's all. They refused to make people cookie-cutter Christians. They allowed all the diversity. In fact, they said it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you beyond this. But people want structure. They want Rules. So when something happens, rules. Whenever anything happens, we got to make more laws. We got to make more rules. We got to make everybody fit in the same thing, believe the same thing, say the same thing. Well, the early church had that kind of human tendency, and it was fighting against what James and the apostles had said. By the way, after 320, we had the, uh, the post Nicene fathers. There are 28 volumes instead of nine. So the writing really picked up. But one historian of this period we're talking about today wrote, thought that this time was, uh, Christianity at this time was multi-directional and not easily mapped. That I'm putting that on my business cards. That's brilliant, that is. Multi-directional and not easily mapped. And here's the thing, Jesus showed no concern about this. The Holy Spirit showed no concern about this. It's human beings that want everybody to be in the place that they decree to be their place. There is more diversity, maybe, than we'd even be comfortable with. But we need to remember that they could not be diverse about some things. Who we are, why we are, and what is the future... And I know whom I have believed. That sort of thing they needed to be united about. They knew they were no longer just another group of the Jews. The divorce from the Jews took over 200 years to really accomplish. And there was so much wrong done on both sides that didn't need to happen. And if we're being honest, and we should be, after a while it was the Christians that were doing the most wrong. And that continued... Sadly, not for 200 years, but throughout the next 2,000, of course, sometimes worse than others. And then those who knew some of the writings in circulation and, and knew them well began to rise to positions of power. Now, that's, that's understandable. Let me see if I could do this. We have uh, one, two, three, four, five pieces of pie in this room. Don't get excited. This is a metaphor. Um I, I know somebody says pie. I'm, I'm gone for a while, but um, at least it didn't say cake. Oh, I did. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm back. Now, I refer to these sections as the pies, and so I'll even tell people they're in the third pie stage left or whatever like this, which would be you. Um, but we have these. Well, let's say we have Corinth and Rome and Thessalonica, and we, and we can just do this. I want you to think that I have sent email To one person in each of these towns and we do not get the response we don't get your response to the email we don't even have all of my emails to you but we've grabbed emails to various churches in different locations under completely different circumstances and we've grabbed my words and we shove them all together and try to make a law for all churches do you see why that could be an issue we're reading other people's mail when we read the Bible And we need to remember this. But early on, they understood the apostles' writings are important. This is a gift. We need to know these. Some of them end suddenly. Mark seems to end in an odd place. The book of Acts, if you've never paid attention to it, leads right up to a big drama and then goes silent, leading some to believe, some scholars to believe. Luke wrote his gospel, Luke, and Acts as a defense for Paul to use in court in Rome. And that's why it ended where it did, because that's where Paul was. But there are other one, things, you know, John ends and then he starts again. And we, we look at all of this and we go, well, this, you know, who has them all? Well, some had more than others. And they began to be looked upon as very important. Of course they would. They, later on, the name bishop was given to them. Now that's a name we find in scripture. It may not be in your bible, but that's because English has a bunch of words for it. We the people here we call shepherds can also be called bishops. They can also be called pastors, elders, presbyters. These are all appropriate biblical names, sometimes translated that way, sometimes not. But these bishops in the 200s Late 100s, all the way up through the uh, the, the 200s, were were different. They were a group of men, I'm going to start with that. The group of men over lots of churches. For example, Paul would write, Not to the church in Corinth that meets at this street, he said, The church at Corinth. They were meeting all over Corinth. And so these were a few men that were over many scattered congregations in one local area. And as often happens, while it started off with some men, one man starts to get more power. Maybe, maybe sincerely and with kindness because he's the guy that knows the books better and he's better at it than the others. Sometimes that was true. Sometimes it was a power game. I don't. When you read history, it's really hard to judge who's who. So I just say, just be aware, some of them had good intentions and because they're human Probably some people did not. But it was important to have somebody in place to defend the scattered sheep of an area. Before we get all excited and start to criticize these churches for doing something unbiblical, we need to remember several things. One, they didn't have a Bible. How were they to know how we would interpret the books that we would eventually get? One day. They didn't know. Two. They needed somebody to defend the faith and answer questions. We do that. Have you ever been in a group? And one of the first things the group does is they elect a leader. Even if you're on jury duty. Yeah, you said, we need to have a foreman of the the jury thing. Which, you know, the smartest person in a group of people who couldn't figure out how to get out of jury duty. And so then, you know, that's, that's the way it works. By the way, I have served too. I've learned. I've learned. I've, uh, you know, things. If, if, you, if you bring your own rope and ask if it's a hanging offense, that helps. Um, if you scream, get it off of me, that also works a bit. Anyway. Um, sorry. Um, I'll get back to the notes. Well, that's actually pretty good. I should have used that. Anyway, it's too late now. Moving on. They didn't know any rules for governance. Now, some of us grew up with a film strip series, and kids, I just don't have time to explain this. (laughs) We didn't have color TV at the time, and there was this little uh, petroleum-based product that we would put in a projector. And no, it wasn't a movie. We weren't there yet, but we would click, and and the picture on the wall would change, and we were all like cavemen going, ooh. You know it was, very, it was very good. And Forts Day, it was very powerful. If you remember, the fifth one of the five explained why all these churches were dead, wrong and not biblical, because they allowed one man to elevate a book. Bu- they didn't have those books. It's completely wrong historically. They didn't understand. They did what was natural. They also did not look at this as their law. Jesus was their law his life his example his teachings this was our story our narrative and that terrify some people because they'll think there will be absolute pandemonium and no what happened when everybody grabbed the bible and tried to make it a rule book we split and we split and we split because we're all interested in different rules aren't we And we all circle different passages. But if we have one Lord, then we can read our story. We can understand our story. God has, hang on, we do not have seat belts in the pews, but beyond the building, beyond the building may may supply four-port harnesses for people later. They did not believe that God made these rules and God in our narrative has often taken things he did not come up with, he did not give them orders about, and when they did it, blessed them anyway, even when it was something God wished they wouldn't do. Now there's a shocker, because I grew up that God was always in Nadab and Abihu mode. If you don't know your Bibles, shame on you, it's a good story. Where uh, Nadab and Abihu, by the way, were thugs. If you read scripture, this was not a bad day for them. They were thugs that were also priests. And they had misused women. They were chronic uh, uh, drunks. And so when it says they brought in strange fire, this was an act of rebellion. This was their lifestyle. If you look in a chapter, some other people who did the same thing were forgiven. But Nadab and Abihu were struck down with fire from heaven. Because it was their attitude was just awful. It was off the charts, and I grew up thinking, if you did anything wrong, you were gone. Now, in our church, you weren't allowed to clap, because I'm not making this up. Drums are nothing more than stretch skins, and so you are doing the same thing as adding an instrument. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, I was in the city of Columbus, Ohio. I had gone to visit, and... Uh, I was going to do a youth rally for about 1,500 kids, they expected. I was upstairs. I told you the story before, so I'll make it quick. And I got a call from the, the, the wee young lady down uh, the hotel clerk, And she said, well, you're, there's some men here would like to talk to you. They are elders. Does that mean something to you? And I went, uh eh, it does, yeah. And she goes, should I send them up? I said, no, no. Do not let them know what room I'm in. I'll come down. So we, we, I, I went down and they, there's a little breakfast nook which wasn't being utilized, so we off went there. And uh, these men weren't bad men, they were just concerned men. And they sat down and they said, we've been having trouble with youth rallies and division and the like. And I went, oh, that's, that's terrible, sorry. And they said, we, we would like to enlist your help to make sure things go smoothly. And I went, okay, what, what do you need from me? And they said, well, how can we make sure that there's no clapping? Now, This is when all of my years of education paid off because I I used to be a shrink and you had to be trained not to let your face do anything. So I'm just looking at him and I was, well, snipers. I I wasn't thoroughly trained. That little tongue made it past the cage of teeth that God had designed for it. And there was a jailbreak. And they looked at me, and I said, no, it would work. First couple people do this, and oof, they're off the pew. <laughs> and I tried to talk to them about the absurdity of this, but they decided to pull their kids. And the whole youth rally wasn't on clapping. It was on how to keep yourself sexually pure in a world that isn't. But their kids didn't get to hear that because somebody might clap. I was raised in that, I understand that, and I believe that they did that with the best of intentions, but they were wrong. The Bible didn't give us rules like that, and God blesses things sometimes that he didn't even like. He enters into a plan. How about this? 1 Samuel chapter 8, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. That's a great way to start the conversation. You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this this, displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Is it, is it very plain, God does not approve of the king idea? At all. In fact, he even gives warnings to them. Let's bring up the next one. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us out and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. I love that. Like, God, I don't know if you're at the meeting. Um, I took copious notes, so I can't show up. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And Samuel said to the Israelites, everybody go back to your own town. What did God do? He told them in that chapter, you don't want a king. This is a bad idea. This is wrong. You are rejecting me. But when they insisted on the king, he said, okay. But not only this, he didn't just say, okay, and you're going to find out you're in big trouble and like, no. He entered into the plan, and he chose their first two kings. If you noticed, God picked them. Kind of like, okay, if this is the way you want to work with it, we'll work with what you want. God actually is involved in a cosmic dance with us, and allows us to do things that he doesn't think are wise, but if this is the way we need to go, he's going to work with us. He's not setting us a trap. He's not Thor or, or Odin that wants to trick and hurt human beings. He loves us. But, you know, it's kind of like if, if your child comes to you and goes, I want to go to college. And you're saying, hey, great idea. And they say, um, I want to go to this school. And you're thinking, absolutely wonderful. And they say, I'd like to major in French medieval poetry. And you're going... You know, it'd be faster if we went in the backyard and just burned the money. And, uh, <laughs> but after a while, you say, you know, something there, there's one job in that in, on the planet, and you could get it. So, we work with them. We work with, and and we're looking forward to seeing them when we go shop at Walmart. We're happy. We we will. <laughs> I like Walmart. Go on, you know. Anyway, meet all of the liberal arts majors, and anyway, um, uh, thank you, one person got that, thank you, Um, anyway, another example of God endorsing this is the synagogue, that whole idea of we will get together and we will discuss and worship in our individual towns rather than going to the temple, well they couldn't go to the temple for a long time, they're in captivity, but so they developed these synagogues, which is just a fancy word by the way, it means congregation. And so they, but when they came back together, God brought them back together. A temple was built. They kept going to the synagogues, and guess what? God not only approved of it. When Jesus showed up, he worshipped there. He took part. Do you under? Do you see how we got it wrong, thinking God would stomp out? I can remember once my father, and I love my father, and he's about to cross his last river. And that is uh, something which is deeply on my mind. He's, he is saved. He is going to heaven. But he was a hard man. And I can remember we were discussing once, as I was probably 14 years old, about a church that had gone to wine for the communion. And I was in the room and somebody asked well, him, what would you do? And he said, if my own son were at a church and, I, and he was the preacher there and they passed communion and it hit my lips, I would spit it out and stomp out of, the, out of the room. And I was thinking, okay. Yeah. You know, I was in the room, so I was listening. <laughs> I was going, all right, make a note. Um, Dad doesn't get the wine. Um, he did that because he thought that's what God required, but there is nothing in Scripture to indicate that. And there's certainly nothing in history to indicate it. In history, God works with us. He walks with us. Assuming God is rigid and never bending, never allowing humans to make choices, is wrong-headed at its very core. Take a look at these passages. Matthew 18. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Wow! Wow! God's saying, hey, where do you want to go today? I've had people say, I really want to know the Lord's will for my life. And I said, you know what the Lord's will for your life is? It's not anything about I should go to the Congo or I should now work in South, uh, South Knoxville or I should buy this. No, God's will is whatever you're doing today, let him come with you. Be a part of whatever he's doing and he's a part of your life. Have you ever had... Your empty nesters, we'll get to this, I promise. Have you ever had empty nesters? Have you ever had your kids come back? Do you ever sit them down and say, now here are, the, here are our activities, I've filled out the sheets, here are the ones you will approve of, here's, a, no. no, it's what do you guys want to do. And sometimes we're all just sitting in the same room and there's nothing being said, but I'm having a good time because we're in the same room. Parents get that, grandparents get that. God gets that. I don't know why we don't get that about God. Come now, God said, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. In another version, let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In other words, yeah, there are problems, but when you're with me, I won't condemn you. I don't condemn you. I see you. I don't see the red, scarlet, sin, stain. No, I'll take care of that. God's not our heavenly grandfather, but there are times he acts in that way. With that, don't worry about that. That's all right. When my grandsons come running in and making a mess in the house, don't care. I'm not going to clean it up either. Why? Not because I'm a guy. No. It's because I like walking in and seeing evidence they were there. (laughs) Now, whenever your parent says, stop it, stop it. Well, that's why... (laughs) I did. Well, that was pretty good. Um, I've often said the reason grandparents, grandkids get along so well is they have a common enemy. We 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 like we we like to be able to 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 love on them and see the evidence of them. And yeah, it's a mess, but you know it's all right. It's okay. I, every time one of you guys comes along and you bring your kids and they start heading for the guitars, you start going. Huh? I'm going. No, no. No, it's a thing. The kids are fine. It's a thing. By the way, if you run over and saying, "Well, then I can," no, no. <laughs> you're you're you've grown up. You're not cute. Don't care. Uh, but <laughs> God's saying, "I will sort this out. I will take care of this." It is wonderful. So while rule by bishops wasn't the ideal, it wasn't God's idea let's not assume that God left the building as soon as the bishop showed up. Because people are people, some bishops becoming more important than others did so and they mistreated the office and they mistreated people. There's no question. Others were beautiful and wonderful folk. You can't paint them all with the same brush. But after a while it became obvious these bishops are going to need to get together to make sure we're on the same page. One of the greatest motivators of that is something we historians call the Aryan controversy. Arius was a presbyter. By that time, that name wasn't equivalent to bishop. It changed. Language does that. It was one step below. He started preaching a doctrine that his bishop, Alexander of Alexandria, believed was an an error. Arius believed that Jesus was not co-eternal with God. In other words, that Jesus had a beginning. And he took that from the Son of God passages that God the Father at some, created, at some time created Jesus. He is the first and foremost among creation, but he was not there in the beginning with God. That was his teaching. That was not a new doctrine. That had been around for a while, but had not found a really able, charismatic spokesman until Arius came. By the way, there are churches today that still teach this. The Jehovah's Witnesses are perhaps the most commonly known that say Jesus is not Almighty God, but he is God. He is a step below the Father. In our own history of the American Restoration Movement or the Stone-Campbell Movement, Barton W. Stone and Walter Scott, they had issues about thinking Jesus was created. And yet, Alexander Campbell believed we could still fellowship them. That's Interesting. It's interesting how open our church used to be. Well, angry bishops demanded that Arius be scorned and this whole controversy settled and he'd be kicked out. Well, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, didn't much care one way or the other. If he'd had to choose, I think he would have chosen Arius because he had a son that liked Arius. But he was just peace. That's all I'm interested in. Get a man, sort it out. So he brought them to Nicaea. That's where the word comes from. And there were some interesting arguments there. One of the greatest stories is that Arius was preaching, his, giving his side. And one of the bishops, wanting to, you know, Jesus is God, was so upset that he walked up and punched Arius in the face. That bishop's name was St. Nicholas. <laughs> Santa Claus decked a bishop. It just kind of puts a different swing on Christmas, doesn't (laughs) it? You'd better watch out. You'd better. (laughs) Anyway, story may not be true, but I'm still sticking with it. Um, The Apostles' Creed that we have talked about the last several weeks did not settle this issue, did not mention this issue. So the bishops created a creed that insisted upon the deity of Jesus. And in case anybody in the room is wondering, I insist upon the deity of Jesus and co-eternal with God. I do not believe that Jesus was ever created. I believe that the Nicene bishops were correct to firmly state that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together from the beginning. Well, the emperor accepted the work of the bishops and decreed that anybody that didn't, wouldn't say the creed, would be banished. Why? Because he was a great Christian? No, Constantine wasn't a Christian at all by this stage. And it's questionable whether he was at the end of his life. this He just wanted order. That's all. The works of Arius and his followers were to be burned. Their ministers set into exile. And there's a lot more history there, but not a lot more time. So, before we look at the Nicene Creed today, we should mention that the gathering of Nicaea did more than just the Creed. They made 20 rules, most of which were to ensure unity among the believers, but some of which, and I I do admire this, was to clean up the bishop's own behavior, saying, listen, if we are leaders over the house of God, we've got to behave as such. And so there were rules about how they handled money. There were rules about how they were to conduct themselves in the presence of women. A lot of, and by the way, I have no idea what religion Mike Pence is, But a lot of his rules about not being in a room with a woman unless his wife is there, not, you know, all of the, that's actually, a lot of that comes right out of the Nicene rules they made for themselves, saying, uh, in other words, a bishop could not be in a house where there was a young woman there unless there was somebody always in the room with them to hold him accountable. That's pretty good. Christianity at this stage was still not the official religion, would not be for another 65 years all Licinius and Constantine had done was make it legal. They gave it a heartbeat. They gave it a chance. But the Christians knew we could change in a moment. We need to be on the same page about who we are. But notice once again, in a moment, I'm going to read the Anglican version of the Nicene Creed. Why would I pick that one? Because I had to pick one. And they're all pretty much the same. So I, I've never asked you to repeat something or to read along and state it as if it was your words until you had a chance to look at it. So today, I'm not asking you to say the creed with me. Instead, I will ask you at the very end, if you agree, to say amen. But this is how they united, and so very important, this is how they stayed united through all of those centuries until the common person could have one of these. The stories and the gospels that brought us to Christ. Would you stand with me, please? While I read the Nicene Creed, established 325 by the Christians in Nicaea. At the very end, those who agree say Amen, and we will sing a song. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker and the life of the world to come. And all who agree say, Amen. Amen.